You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So I'll turn in our Bibles to the scripture reading this afternoon. John chapter 6, verses 25 to 59. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven." They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to Me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This afternoon we are considering the truth of God's Word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all His gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of Him. With this command, He gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was His body offered for me and His blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does He Himself nourish and refresh my soul to everlasting life with His crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink His shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and the death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to His sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, Although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. And we forever live and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Whereas Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood, as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup. In the institution of the Lord's Supper, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, Today, we're beginning to consider what the Bible teaches about the Lord's Supper. The next couple of weeks, we'll continue considering that. But as we begin to do that today, it's important to remember that this is one of the two sacraments. And a sacrament, by definition, is a holy, visible sign and seal instituted by God, something that He uses to more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. God 
is at work in the sacraments. He is the primary subject, you could say. And we saw a few weeks ago that this is most obvious in baptism. In baptism, we are entirely passive. Baptism is something that we have done to us. There's no action on our part. It's entirely of God. And that testifies to the nature of the gospel and how God sovereignly draws us to himself. We come to the Lord's Supper. We have to remember that this is also a place where God is the primary subject. In the Lord's Supper, God is declaring and sealing to us the promises of the gospel. He's the one who feeds us and nourishes us. However, unlike unlike baptism in the Lord's Supper, we have to be actively involved. Go back to the image of a baby for a moment. A baby receives baptism without any action of its own. Just like when the baby gets a bath. However, when it comes time for that baby to be fed, the baby has to open its mouth. The baby has to swallow. As the child grows older, he has to chew. And eventually he has to take the food for himself. He has to take the fork or the spoon, stick it in the food, lift it, bring it to his mouth, place the food in his mouth. Yes, maybe mom or dad provides or prepares the meal, but the child still has to take an active role in eating the food. And the same is true for the Lord's Supper. If we are to be strengthened by this meal, by this sacramental meal, we need to take the food. We need to eat and drink the food. And the way we do all that is through faith. And so I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon with this theme. At the Lord's Supper, a focused faith is a strengthened faith. And we'll consider faith and first of all, what it sees in the elements of bread and wine. Second, what it observes in the offering of these elements. And then finally, what it appropriates in the possession of these elements. Whenever we think about, whenever we consider the Lord's Supper It's good that we let our thoughts go directly to the concrete, to the concrete celebration that takes place in this church every two months. Thinking about the Lord's Supper in the abstract or thinking about it in purely theoretical terms, well, that tends to get us away from the whole purpose and the whole character, the nature of a sacrament. It's better for us to think back to January 11th. The last time we had the Lord's Supper here in this church. Or better yet, to look ahead to March 8th, next month. And the next time we're going to celebrate it. We have to make this all as concrete as we possibly can. And that's exactly what the Catechism does as well. It speaks as if the one answering the questions is sitting in church. Sitting in church at a celebration of the Lord's Supper. speaks of seeing with my eyes receiving from the hand of the minister, tasting with my mouth, and so on. This is all real world, concrete stuff. Not abstract, not theoretical at all. And the catechism, it's never original. The catechism doesn't really suck, the authors of the catechism didn't suck this out of their thumb. 
They follow what Paul does in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 10, for instance, he speaks vividly about the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks. He speaks about the bread which we break. It's all present tense, as if he's there with the Corinthians at that moment, celebrating the sacrament with them. And so as we consider the Lord's Supper today, imagine yourself at a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Think ahead to next month, to March 8th. It's not that far away. So we're sitting in the pews. The minister reads the form. And eventually we get to the point where the, the minister comes down from the pulpit. He comes down to this table over here. He uncovers the bread. He removes the covers from the wine trays. And at that moment, we can see with our eyes, our physical eyes, the elements of bread and wine even if they are at somewhat of a distance, depending on where you're sitting in the church. The bread and wine are there at the front of the church, front and center. You can see them clearly with your eyes. The question is, what do we do with that? What do we see, really, in those elements? Do we see them just as being pieces of bread and a few hundred little cups of wine? Or is there something more? The bread and the wine, loved ones, they are signs and seals of Christ's body and blood. As we look at them in faith, even before those trays go out into the congregation, as we look at them in faith, we see Christ's body. And we see Christ's blood. It's not that they become His body and blood. No. But they point us to the spiritual reality of Christ's body and blood. They are signs. Signs point. That's what signs do. But more than that, they are also seals. The sight of the bread assures us that Christ's body is real. That there was a real physical human body. That if you had been there, you could have touched it. A real physical human body hanging on that cross 2,000 years ago. As sure as the bread at the front of the church is real, so real is Christ's human body that was once offered on the cross for me. Then there's the wine. The sight of the wine assures us that Christ's blood is real. That there was real human blood that poured out from Christ while He hung on the cross for me. It was real, physical, human blood. It had white blood cells and red blood cells and plasma and platelets. It had its own blood type. And so on. As surely as the wine in the cups is real and physical... So real is Christ's human blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of my sins. And as we sit at the Lord's Supper, this is what faith sees in the elements of bread and wine. Loved ones, faith looks to Christ crucified for the forgiveness of all sins. Because you know how real your sins are. You have to live with them every day. But at the Lord's Supper, we're taught about the reality of our redemption. 
through these physical signs and seals, through bread and wine, we're reminded that the gospel is no fairy tale. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. The gospel is no cleverly invented story. It's reality. And similarly, at the Lord's Supper, we are directed to Christ and the real reality of His redemption. God is there. He's assuring us that it's all real. It's all true. It all matters. And that assurance that God is giving us, it bolsters and it it strengthens our faith. And as the Lord's Supper continues... The elders go out to the congregation and they bring the elements to us. First the bread comes on trays and then the wine comes on trays. The elements are offered to us and we take them. Such a simple act. I wonder how often we actually think about the significance of it. It's actually a lot of significance and just having those trays pass to you. When the trays come around, the eye of faith sees the body and blood of Christ which was offered for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The Catechism says, So surely was His body offered for me and His blood poured out for me on the cross. Those trays are no mirage. No optical illusion, no digital special effects. They're the real thing. And the action that's taking place there too is real. No smoke and mirrors. When those trays are offered, they are really offered, genuinely offered. And it's the same with what Christ has done for us. He has really given us His flesh and blood. As he tells us in John 6, where he answers that question of Psalm 78, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? John 6, he answers that question and he says that he is the bread which has come down from heaven. Just like the manna in the wilderness was offered for the people of Israel, so Christ was offered for us. Think about that for a moment. Think about the manna in the wilderness and the people of Israel. The people of Israel, they didn't have to pay for the manna. didn't come at a cost. God simply provided it for them. And similarly, the food Christ gives is free. Amazing, isn't it? No one has to pay an admission fee for the Lord's Supper. No one has to or even can pay an admission fee to the kingdom of heaven. Or to the marriage feast of the Lamb, to which the Lord's Supper points. Can't do it. Don't have to do it. The price has been paid by the Son of God. The price has been paid. Paid with His precious blood. Think about that the next time the trays come around. Rejoice in the fact that you don't have to pay anything to take what is offered. And so certainly it is with your salvation in Christ. Paul said it clearly in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And Isaiah prophesied about it in chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Those are wonderful, beautiful gospel words, aren't they? Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Like the offering of the elements at the Lord's Supper, those words remind us that salvation is 100% grace. So once the trays come, you take those elements in your hand. When the bread comes, you take a piece. It becomes yours. When the cups come, you take a cup. That portion of wine becomes yours. And you'd be upset if someone came along and tried to take those elements away from you. And still, this receiving and possessing is something that's easy to do mechanically and mindlessly. Well, someone once said, to celebrate the Lord's Supper without being attentive, only with the eye, the hand, and the mouth of the body, is to celebrate it as a Roman Catholic, who thinks that it is enough if he but received the external signs. It's not enough just to go through the motions. Lord's Supper won't benefit you if you just go through the motions. In fact, going through the motions when it comes to the Lord's Supper, loved ones, it's destructive. Instead, for our faith to be strengthened, we need to be attentive, to have a focused faith, and that has to be true for each and every one of us personally. Notice the way the Catechism draws that out when it uses the first person singular, I, me, and my. This is the confession of each and every believer for himself or herself. And so the bread comes, and you, personally, take it. It's now yours. In the same way, you constantly, by faith, take hold of Christ. And He is yours. The wine comes and you take it. It's now yours. In the same way, you constantly take hold of Christ by faith. He is yours. Along these same lines, think of what Paul says in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, he says that he had it all together as a Pharisee. He was the expert at measuring up. As far as legalistic righteousness was concerned, he was the expert. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he says. He had it all together, not only in principle, but also in practice. But he says he threw it all away like a piece of garbage so that he could gain Christ and be found in Him. Having a righteousness that is through faith. Through faith, we gain Christ. Through faith, He is our Savior and Lord. At the Lord's Supper, as we take the bread and as we take the wine, we're reminded of this. That it is through faith that Christ is ours and we are His. We are united to Him and we are justified through Him. And our union with Christ is signified and sealed even more deeply when the next action takes place at the Lord's Supper. Because we not only take those elements in our hands, 
we also place them in our mouths. And we swallow them. And they go down and they enter into our bodies. And beloved, here again, think about Christ and think about our union with Him. Think about what Christ says in John 6. He says that to have eternal life, we must eat His flesh and we must drink His blood. Obviously, He's not talking about cannibalism because the law of God didn't allow the drinking of blood. Certainly not the drinking of human blood. He's speaking about His flesh and blood in a spiritual way. He's speaking of taking hold of Him, of taking hold of Christ and taking hold of what will happen to His flesh and blood and His sufferings and on the cross. Taking hold of that, embracing it all with faith. And then in verse 56, He says, Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood remains in Me, and I in Him. Notice that little word, in. Here He's speaking about our spiritual union with Him through faith. The Lord's Supper points us to this spiritual union. As surely as the bread and the wine enter into our bodies, and through the digestive process they become one with us, so also Christ has become one with us, and we with Him. Faith sees this in the eating and drinking, and when faith sees this, it not only rejoices, it's also assured. And it's strengthened. And that's all in the background of question and answer 76 of the Catechism. Eating Christ's crucified body is not a matter of physical eating, but of faith. Drinking Christ's shed blood is not a matter of physical drinking, but of faith. Eating and drinking means to accept with a believing heart that Christ suffered and died for me. Each time the Lord's Supper is celebrated, we not only hear the Gospel, we also see the Gospel. We experience the Gospel in a multi-sensory way. And it's so it's announced to us again, Christ's body was broken for the complete forgiveness of all my sins. Through Christ, my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. All my sins are thrown into the depths of the sea. Through Christ, I am right with God right now. And through Christ, I'm adopted into God's family. I am an heir to eternal life. Eating and drinking also means to see our union with Christ grow and flourish through the working of the Holy Spirit. Union with Christ. It simply takes place through faith. Faith worked in us by the Holy Spirit. If the Lord's Supper is designed for the strengthening and growth of our faith, well then the logical conclusion is that it will also result in more and more being united to Christ's body. Growth in faith means growth in union with Christ. Which also in turn means growth in holiness. And our life before God's face. And so brothers and sisters, this afternoon... The Word and Spirit are reminding us of the basics when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Having the Lord's Supper function in the way it was designed to. Lord's Supper, 
does not create faith, but it does strengthen faith. And the implication is that believers have to come to the sacrament with faith in the first place. If we come to the sacrament focused on Christ, focusing, being attentive to His perfect sacrifice, if we come looking to be fed and nourished by Him, He promises not to disappoint. He promises that the cup of blessing will be a participation in His blood. And the bread which is broken will be a participation in His body. Let's now pray together. Our gracious Father in heaven, thank you for the sacrifice of Christ our Savior once offered on the cross. We confess that it is the only ground for our salvation. We praise you for the gospel and its great promises. We also thank you that not only do you give us the gift of faith through your word and spirit, but that you also strengthen faith with the sacraments. We thank you for the Lord's Supper and we pray that each time we celebrate it, you would help us to do so with our faith fixed on Jesus, our Savior. We pray that you would establish, strengthen, and preserve us in our faith through the sacrament and through the gospel to which it points. Please hear us in Christ, who gave himself for us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.